0: Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live like Jesus. All right. Well, we are back in the Old Testament book of Joshua today. This is week number four. And just to say thank you to Micah for last week and Tyler for the week before that, I will just say I've been running very fast, uh, not on purpose, but by God's design, I think, but um, to not have to preach those couple of weeks has been very strategic for me, and uh, I can tell you more uh, personally uh, in another setting, I don't want to take up our time telling you all about what I've been doing the last five weeks, but uh, it's pretty special and I've been in a season where if God doesn't show up for the next thing, I will be put to shame. And I feel a little bit of that here this morning as well with uh, the layers of, of things going on in my life. So if we could stop one more moment and just to dedicate our, our uh, time in his word to the Lord. God, I, I sense that, that you've been showing up again and again. And, and as I said in a private prayer time, 19 out of 19 times in a row, and I'm asking for 20. That uh, not that I would look good or flawless, but Lord, that you I would represent you well, and represent the truth well. But also, Lord, just that each one of us here would have ears to hear what you want to say in and through your Word, and the grand picture of your deliverance of sinful humanity, Lord. Both both groups of people, but individuals specifically Lord. We want to see it and understand it today and not just the adults but all the way down to our children that are with us. So I ask for grace in this moment. We pray it in Jesus name together. Amen. So as I said we're in chapter 3. Why Joshua? Well we're we're looking at things that occurred some 1,250 years before the coming of Jesus. So that puts it over 3,000 years ago that these events occurred in jake uh, joshua is the new moses he is the one that will be taking them out of the wilderness across the jordan and into their inheritance joshua was one of only two faithful spies 12 spies had gone into the promised land some 40 years before in 10 out of 12 they had witnessed miracles together and yet these miracles in their life did not register with them. So when they saw the people of the land of Canaan, they said, uh-uh, yeah, maybe God's big. but And maybe he could part the Red Sea. Maybe he could deliver us through the Passover, the death of the firstborn. Maybe he could do that. But there's no way we could ever actually go in and take this land. The people living there are much too big. But there were two faithful men. One was a man named Caleb that we'll see in a couple weeks. What a great witness and testimony he is to us as we age. But also Joshua. Joshua. Uh, his parents named him Hoshea, Which means salvation. Moses renamed him Yahshua. Meaning not just salvation, but the Lord is salvation. So he had this name and this character that believed that God was able. And so as one of the faithful spies, an apprentice to Moses, one who was there serving for years on end in the little things, God is now elevated and said, you are the new Moses. You will be my man. You will be represented as a kind of prophet, as a kind of priest, and as a kind, they didn't have a king except God, but you will be a kind of kingly leader as well. And why have we chosen Joshua to study this year? couple things that come out of this that is so wonderfully illustrated in a family service where we're dedicating babies Because we don't get to lead forever. In fact, we don't get to stay forever. And we better be passing on a living faith to another generation. Parents, that's why it's so important to walk with Jesus and have it be more than a religious exercise. That's why you want to spend time daily in God's presence. That's why you want to be filled up to full and overflowing with the Holy Spirit So your children get more than a religious culture from you. They need to see Christ in and through our lives. Why? Because we're passing on more than just a set of beliefs. We're we're passing on a heartbeat in the way we live, the way we pray, the way we love. More is caught than is taught So it's not just about the facts and the theology statements. It's our very lifestyle, including the secrets. We're going to find out your secret life is going to impact not only the family, but also the household of faith. So even our secrets matter. Secondly, we're supposed to stay in front of until we pass the baton and die. Because we don't want a new generation to go, yeah, they were okay, but watch this. We want them, we want to say to them, yeah, watch this. Humbly, Christ in me, not I'm awesome, but we want to stay one step in front so that they continue to have a model and example until it's our time to go and be with Jesus. And then finally, um, we have to be a people of faith and courage no matter what. We have to be growing For ourselves, for the kingdom of God, for the gospel, for God Himself. We have to be a people of faith and courage. I'm reminded of a day that I resigned from Scottsdale Baptist Church uh, some 21 years ago. And we had just had Timothy, little baby, and I resigned to nothing, no job. And I remember speaking to an elderly lady. And she goes, what are you doing? What are you going to? And I go, I don't know, nothing. And she goes, oh, my. And I go, why? What? It's a walk of faith. I just know what's right. And she goes, oh, I'm much too old to have that kind of faith. And in my, my imagination in mind, in my, my, you know, I was, I was like 32, 33 years old. And in my youthful imagination, I thought it was supposed to go opposite. I thought faith is supposed to grow as we walk with Jesus and get older. But she was saying, no, I had more when I was younger. And I'm like, this is not the way of God. This is not what the scripture reveals. We have to be a faith-filled people. For the sake of of other generations, yes, but just to walk with Christ. At the end, we are more trusting and more uh, like Jesus than when we began. That's how the scriptures describe A life of faith and I think all these things are beautifully demonstrated in the book of Joshua this morning we're in Joshua chapter 3 and let me just tell you uh, Joshua 3 is a part of uh, uh, two chapters that make up a literary unit so it's actually Joshua 3 and 4 and I'll just tell you today we're gonna get through Joshua 3 and maybe not even all the way through it Uh, next Sunday we will come back to Joshua 4 pick up things that we missed today Uh, things that I'm going to glance over for time's sake. But let me just tell you, we're going to get from the eastern shores of the Jordan River and we're going to get into the flood and we're going to leave it there in the middle of the dry riverbed. That's where we're going to stop. We're going to get halfway through the river today. But my, my, what a magnificent picture of what God has been doing and is doing on a cosmic level, but also on an individual level with each one of us. So, here it is, starting in verse 1, Joshua 3, verse 1. It says here that Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people... As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, being carried by the the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. That's about a half mile, over a half mile. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites the Hivites the Perizzites the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites behold the ark of the covenant of the lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the jordan now therefore take 12 men from the tribes of israel from from each tribe a man and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the lord the lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the jordan The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. It's a very interesting word we're going to come back to. So, when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. And that's parenthetical, really important detail Joshua wants to record for us. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. The river gets to be about a mile wide. It's, it's an enormous flood zone and a jungle. A jungle of trees, salt cedars, impenetrable, difficult. Flooded, dangerous. Verse 16, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap. Second time we see that word, heap. Very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon. And those flowing down toward the sea of of the Arabah, the salt sea, that's the dead sea, were completely cut off and the people passed over opposite Jericho. That's an important Detail. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Scholars and historians believe that at this stage of the game, there's probably somewhere between 3 to 5 million Jews that have to pass through that dangerous flood stage river. Something completely and totally impossible by the will of man. But something very possible to the God who can do all things, or for the God who can do all things. Now, let me revisit this. Why? Why this story? Why are we looking at this? We're not Jews. We're not there This is not a real thing. We're not trying to stop rivers. I've tried it before. It didn't work. It was Sabino Canyon about three months ago, and I said, let's give it a whirl. My feet were wet. I turned around and ran home. Didn't work for me. So what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with you? What does this have to do with us? We're not Jews. Maybe some, a little ethnic Jew, but we're not Jews. Let me show you a couple of places in the New Testament. One for Romans... And one for Greeks, the one for Romans says, Romans fifteen four. Paul says to these Roman Gentile converts, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So we're supposed to read this story and the other stories and accounts in the Old Testament for us as non-Jewish Gentile converts. You say, I'm not Roman, I'm Greek. Here's 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. So we're supposed to take instruction and encouragement from this historical account. I want to point that out. This is not a myth. This is not a legend. This is not a story. It is an historical account it really happened these people really experienced this in real time secondly it's an example of what it looks like to live by faith this is an example for Christians go I am one of God's children and how do I take on my next day my next chapter of life there are instructions and encouragement here for that but this morning where we're going to park coming up to the communion time together is this, that this is a picture, an illustration, a type, and a foreshadowing of God's plan of salvation. God's redemptive plan of the ages. History is his story. And we have a depiction of what God does in history to redeem unworthy, lost, sinful human beings. Adopts them into his family. And sends them on mission. We want to look at that redemptive plan of the ages. And how this all works. Ephesians 2.8 provides a beautiful, uh, succinct understanding of what we're looking at today. It says, for by grace... You have been saved through faith. And it is not of your own doing, it's the gift of God. These people of Israel, it wasn't like they were so awesome that they earned God's favor. And therefore, God was leading them through this this place and doing miracles for them because they're so good, they have such a good moral compass. That's actually not at all the message. The message of Christianity is is not that God blesses and loves good people. The central message of Christianity is that he loves, forgives, and redeems bad people like you and me. And if that's not your jam, if if that's off-putting to you, uh, listen, before you're exposed as a sinner... Humble yourself. That's my first choice. But if you're still offended by the whole idea that you're not a good person, that I'm not a good person, biblical Christianity is not your jam. Christianity is for losers. People that can't be good enough to get chosen. People that need Christ. People that need grace. And that's what Ephesians 2.8 says. is by grace you've been saved through faith. So here's a couple questions. What is grace and how does it work? What is salvation and how does it work? What is faith and how does it work? And how does this text illustrate this? And and what does it tie into that shows the big picture of God? Let's just stop for a moment though and look at these three words. Grace. Grace classic definition is unmerited favor. You didn't earn it. You weren't more noble. You weren't better. It's grace. God chose to bestow his favor on you and me. Grace. What is salvation? How does it work? Well, we need to just kind of clear this up. I, I double back on this at least once a year. There are no fewer than five kinds of salvation in the Bible. And if you don't understand the difference, then you mix things up and you start, like, false teachings. And you mismanage the text. And so here are the five. One is physical salvation. Just a deliverance in this lifetime, you didn't die. And actually, that's the kind that we just read about. They didn't die going through the Jordan. God saved them physically. Physically. But it's a depiction and an illustration we know because of what we read in Romans and 1 Corinthians for some other kinds of salvation. The first is justification salvation, which is the forgiveness or deliverance from the judgment that our sin brings. God is a just God. He is holy. All sin must be paid for. In God's grace... He designed a way of forgiveness of sins that cost us nothing but cost Christ, his son, everything. Okay, so that's a kind of salvation, the forgiveness of sins. Then there's sanctification, which is the deliverance from the power of sin in our life to continue to pollute our temperament and personality and act out and... and, uh, Instead, we're transformed over time. That's sanctification, salvation, and we don't want to, they're a part of the same thing, but we don't want to mix those up when we go to the scriptures and make it all one thing. So physical salvation, justification, forgiveness of sins, sanctification, the deliverance from the power of sin, glorification, is the fourth kind. And that's one day in the kingdom of God and in the eternal kingdom of heaven, sin will be no more. Won't that be a great day? We're not struggling through sanctification in a, in a life of faith and, and obedience and we're gonna be delivered in that salvation. Then one more, and this is the minority position, not many people talk about this or write about this, but it's, it's called soul salvation. And it's it's part and parcel of of justification, sanctification, glorification, but it has to do with born-again Christians, children of God, can still waste their lives. God saved them from something, but saved them for a mission. But we can spend our lifetimes chasing lesser things and waste our lives. Soul is that word, the joining of the material and immaterial locked in time. And we only have a limited, finite amount of it in, in this world. And we don't want to waste it. And so there's the fifth kind of salvation. And the beautiful thing is these kinds of salvation are available to us by faith. Some have asked, well, what's faith? It sounds religious-y. What, what is faith? And if I could tell you just really simply, it's the same exact word as belief. Those are synonyms. There's nothing different between faith and belief. The problem is, what do we mean by faith, and why don't we just say belief? Because us Westerners think that belief is something intellectual. And faith, and going back to the ancient pathways has the idea of something, it's going to impact our intellect. It's going to impact the very core of who we are, our heart. But it's also going to impact our hands and our feet in the paths of our life. So when we talk about faith, we talk about a kind of belief that impacts the whole being, head, heart, and hands. And I want you to understand, it's not a belief in belief, it's not the power of believing enough. Because that's in the world, in Disneyland. And yes, in some branches of the church, believe it enough. God has to do it. No, he doesn't. We're not the boss. But faith is more about the object of faith and less about the one who is exercising the faith. So the faith must be in the right object, have the right content And it impacts the head, the heart, and the hands and feet. So that's what we're talking about here. And if I could just give us the bottom line and then demonstrate the power of what's going on in the text. Here's our bottom line. Because I'm not going to get through the whole outline today at all. Bottom line is this. The God who calls us into his story. There's a word play there. Calls us into history. Calls us into his story works for us. I'm not saying he's our servant. He works on our behalf. Grace, he shouldn't have to, he shouldn't, but he does because he loves us. He works on our behalf as we believe. Not when we believe even, because sometimes I don't believe and God is still being faithful. There it is again. God who calls us into his story works for us as we believe. Now, I initially wanted to pan way out And look at the big story. That's all we're going to get to today. Because then I wanted to come in and look at the particulars in the text. This morning as we head toward communion and running out of time. I want to just show you a few things that are going on in this in real time. The big picture of Joshua 3. The people of Israel as they followed the ark. And watched these things unfold. I can't say that every one of them was triggered and looked back 40 years before, but it was designed to do that. This event was parallel to something that happened 40 years before through Moses. And Joshua is the new Moses. And just as God parted the Red Sea and delivered them through the waters of judgment. And the Egyptian armies did not survive that judgment. In the same manner, God was using Joshua, the new Moses, to take them through the Jordan in like manner. Two times I pointed out the word heap. And the word heap only shows up six times in the Old Testament. And two of those times are right here. And one of those times is the Red Sea crossing. And then another time is in one of the Psalms that is talking about the Red Sea crossing. So there's a word that's designed in this storyline to trigger a memory of the Red Sea crossing, the water standing up in a heap. And lo and behold, that's exactly what happens here, also. Cheating from next week. Joshua chapter 4, verse 23. Joshua says to them, For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So Joshua just spells it out. You're, if, you, if you miss the detail, all five million of you, don't miss it anymore. This was designed to remind us of another deliverance. And here's the question. God delivered them through the Red Sea. Why? Because they were awesome? Because they had earned it? Because they were so much more noble than the surrounding people groups? I would argue absolutely not. I think that the, the Ninevites did a far better job of repenting when, when uh, the prophet Jonah came to them in an eight words... The entire city repented in sackcloth and ashes. They were actually a better people. Why the Jews? Why Israel? Deuteronomy 7, 6. Moses said, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the people are on the face of the earth, no explanation given. And we look at the story and go, it's not because they were awesome. It's because God chose them and said, you're going to be my treasured possession. I'm keeping a promise to your great-grandparents, and they were rascals. Abram was a rascal. Isaac was a rascal. Jacob was a rascal. The Jews, the 12 tribes, the brothers, they were rascals. The nation, they were rascals. But God says, yep, and you're my people. This powerful picture of grace. God called them, and they responded imperfectly, And yet, because they responded, God saved them from slavery in Egypt through the waters of judgment and into the wilderness. Okay, that's not the only place, the only connection. A few days before the Red Sea crossing, something called Passover took place. And the language of passing over is all over chapter 3 and chapter 4. But that's not all. When God gave Moses the instructions for the Passover, he said, this is going to be the start of the year for the Jewish calendar now. This is month number one. This is found in in Deuteronomy. God said, or Exodus, sorry, it's in Exodus chapter 12, and God said, on the 10th day of this month from now on will be the beginning of the Passover. And guess when they crossed the Jordan River? On the 10th day of the first month. It says it in, in chapter 4. It says the people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. What was the Passover? The Passover was Passover, slaughter the, the Passover lamb and take the blood and put it on the doorposts and the lentil. It's the sign of the cross. And when the death angel comes, for those who don't have this symbol... They don't have enough faith to exercise this symbol. The firstborn of everything in their household, including their animals, will be taken by the death angel. But for the ones that had enough faith to respond and do this thing, all the firstborn were spared. Joshua was one of those firstborn. His parents exercised enough faith to put the blood on the doorpost and the lentil. And so he was saved. There was a great deliverance. It's a kind of deliverance through the waters of judgment. But that's not all. Years before that, 80 years before that, a beautiful little boy baby was born and his mother named him Moses. He was born during a time when the king of Egypt called the Pharaoh had made a decree to murder all the male children of the Jews. But Moses' mother was willing to break the law, took him and put him in a basket and floated him in a river. Pharaoh's daughter heard the baby crying and picked him up out of the river. And in a very real sense, Moses was saved. He was delivered from the waters of judgment. But that's not all. There's more linguistic hints here for Noah and the great flood that we read about in Genesis 6 through 8. And that because Noah was such a good guy, right? Actually not. He was another rascal. But the scripture says... In Genesis 6 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That word for favor in the Hebrew, kahan, means grace, acceptance. God chose to accept Noah and said, You're going to be my guy. I need you to build an ark. And Noah responded in faith. And because of that, Noah and his entire household was delivered. Through the waters of judgment. Are you getting the theme here? Are you getting the big picture panoramic view of God's redemptive plan of the ages? For by grace, unmerited favor, we are saved, delivered from physical death, spiritual death, from judgment. By grace we are saved through faith. The grace is there. It's available. But we must respond Head, heart, hands, and say, I believe. What do you need me to do? Build an ark. Yes, sir. And in this day, what does God ask us to believe? What does he ask us to do to respond? And you know what he asks us to do? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And he asks us to believe in such a way that it is described as receiving. I love that. Uh, John chapter 1 says, He came to his own and his own did not receive him. It's talking about the leaders of the nation of Israel. They said, no, thank you. We're waiting for a better Messiah, not you. They rejected him as king and Messiah. But then John writes... But to all those who did receive, he gave the right to become the children of God. Gentiles grafted into the family of God, spiritually speaking. The right to become the children of God based on believing and based on receiving. The God who calls us into his story works for us as we believe. Well, today as we move into communion, let me, from that great pan out, zoom out picture, we've only looked backwards. I want to just cherry pick something from next week, something looking forward. There's one more big picture connection that I want us to see from Joshua 3 and 4. Because these historical events in, in this couple of chapters are not only necessary for us to understand the rest of Joshua, but they they build upon the storyline of history past, and they anticipate history future. And what is that history future? We see it in John chapter 1, verse 29, where John the Baptist, who is baptizing east of the Jordan, and when he sees Jesus... Coming out to be baptized, he says these words. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Where was John baptizing? In the same place as the crossing. And just as Joshua was was the new Noah and the new Moses, Jesus is the new and better Joshua. Joshua. The Passover lamb himself went into the waters of judgment. Signifying what he would do three and a half years later on the cross. That for those who would exercise faith, they would pass through on dry ground, but not him. He would go under the waters of judgment for us in our place. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, so that we could be saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. Do you believe that? Won't you receive that? Head, heart, hands. Receive that gift. Stop with your excuses, stop with your self-righteous religion and say, yeah, I'm a rascal too. But I want to know him. I want to be forgiven and invite him, receive him, and become a child of God. By the way, that's what communion is symbolizing. We're receiving Jesus. Won't you receive him today? Lord, thank you for these pictures. Thank you for coming for us, Lord Jesus. Thank you for living that perfect life And passing through those waters of judgment, not just the Jordan River, but on that cross that was meant for us. And Lord, whatever it is that you ask of us, we want to say yes. Head, heart, hands. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.